Hi, and welcome back to the show. If you weren't a part of the pre-show before, we welcome you to the show show now. I am Pastor Will Harley. I am here with uh, two cohorts in crime who have become the most fabulous hosts and co-hosts that you could ever ask for any type of a podcast adventure. And so we're here with... Also here. I was meeting you. I was meeting you. Uh, And so we do have Pastor Endorf. We also have... Uh, Pastor Rudat, who are joining us, um, we have we've come. I to learned a new term. What's that? I learned the new term. I learned that venison is a term of endear meat. I also learned that laughter is the best venison. <laughs> well, it is hunting I, season. I have a doze and more if you want. It is hunting season, and as you can see, uh, Pastor Rudat has embraced the hunting season. Um, this has sort of become the three musketeers of of our Casting Nets podcast, and it's been great to have um, all of us be able to do this. Uh, today, we are we are kind of um, diving off the deep end to discuss something that maybe hasn't even been on your radar before, um, and we are going to be looking at um, really the large concept of inerrancy and inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, but in a general context, we're going to be be kind of looking at. Um, rebutting the rebuttal of RedeemerPress.org, uh, who put out a rebuttal on, on an LCMS statement that was made by um, the LCMS uh, President Harrison. And he dragged the wells into this rebuttal uh, with a comment that um, the Dr. Professor Trepto, who is president of our seminary, uh, had made comment of, and so I felt it's a probably good thing for us to maybe comment on, and and kind of break into the the doctrinal topic of of inerrancy and inspiration of scripture, and have a good conversation with that. But before we do that, let's have our disclaimer. Would one of you gentlemen like to give the disclaimer? Seeing Dave not moving a single muscle. Because he knows if he moves a single muscle that he would then we would then give him permission to speak. So the uh, the views expressed on this show today are our own. They don't re- represent our church bodies who have called us or even our synod necessarily. We are just thinking out loud, having a conversation. It's going to be a delightful conversation between three pastors. Maybe a little bit of snark, uh, maybe uh, a little bit of trolling, perhaps. Uh, we are going to try to keep our sinful natures in check, but uh, in case uh, you you hear something that might be triggering you in some way, we invite you to reach out to us. Um, we are not infallible, nor are we inerrant. Uh, only the Bible is. So we are open to correction. And on the flip side, if this is a conversation that you have found to be beneficial, help us spread the word about this uh, this content by liking, sharing, subscribing. Um, doing the four stars, not the five stars, because my uh, head is already big enough. I'm trying to grow a beard to offset the size of the head, but it is not working. Um, so please don't give us a five star, four stars, okay. 
Um, and again, if you want to contact us, castingnetspod at gmail.com. If you want to see us in person, you can go to Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota to find David Endorf. And you can go to St. John's Maribel, go down to the caves, the basement of St. John Maribel, and you will find the esteemed Pastor Will Harley. And if you go to Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley and you walk through the door to your left will be Pastor Dave Rudat, myself. Uh, talk to us in person. We'd love to have comments and talk about this conversation. After all, this is the beginning of a conversation and not the end. Hey, welcome back to the show. Glad that you stuck around long enough to to make it to this portion of the show after hearing what the topic's going to be and seeing my uh, face move to a bigger view. Um, I, it was a scary thing, but but I'm glad that you hung in there and that you are still with us. Uh, today we are dealing with um, coming back to doctrinal topics and, and kind of dealing with how do we live with these, right? I mean, that's the whole point of kind of what we're trying to do is is take what we believe and confess as Christians and how do we live them in life. And one of those uh, confessions that we have as as Christians, uh, one of those confessions that we have, especially as um, what I would consider Orthodox Lutherans, um, is the confession that the scriptures are inerrant, which means that there is no error in them, um, and that they are, you could probably put infallible, which means that they are, there is no uh, fallacy or falsehoods in them, um, and that they are inspired. And we would probably use the word verbally inspired if we wanted to be a little bit more specific. Um, and I would say all three of those, especially two of those, are kind of in the crosshairs and have been in the crosshairs for for many, many generations, uh, for many, many Christians. And so I think it's a, a good opportunity for us to maybe revisit those doctrines, explain why why they are held, why we believe them, and where does that come from, those doctrines, but also to, to kind of take a look at one of the arguments that has been posed by uh, Redeemer Press, uh, and this was back in October, where uh, Redeemer Press has commented on um, President Harrison's, uh, he's the president of the LCMS, uh, so the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, um, and he had came out with a comment uh, or a, a, an article that dealt with lifting high the cross and putting Christ forward. Um, and so Redeemer Press and the writers over at Redeemer Press came out with a rebuttal against that, um, claiming that that President Harrison did not believe in the inerrancy and the inspiration of Scripture. And uh, and then dragged our synod into it uh, by also saying that um, the doctor, professor, doctor, reverend, and professor Trepto of uh, the president at the seminary also made similar comments and believed similar things. So that that's kind of the background of where we're going. Um, so maybe I, I guess in your own ministry, and and maybe this is the the, the general question uh, that we might want to want to put out there. What's the problem when we look at the doctrine of of inerrancy? We look at the the doctrine of inspiration. What's the problem? What do you guys think? I think for for my ministry, dealing with uh, a lot of liberal churches, 
in the area of Brooklyn Park. The, the problem is a lot of false teachers who try to say that, you know, the words of scripture are not inspired, but are instead the, the works of man who, who may have been spiritual, who may have had an encounter with God, but that was for their time and their context. And now we are free in our own context to change or adjust them to fit what we think is appropriate. And so you you have that first issue, and then you have the the unbelievers who will look at them and say, look at, at the word of God and say, um, you know, it, it's been changed so much. It's been translated so many different times. How can we trust it? We can't believe in it at all. And it's not God's word because it's been corrupted by Christians. And as we we look at the the first, and both of those are going to come up today, and, and both of those have are just completely wrong. I want to say off the bat, they're they're completely false. Well, I think I would add in there as as one of the problems that I guess you also hear is is the the side of arrogance, right? Um, that you as a Christian would think that you have the only the the only truth that God would ever speak, right? That, that you would have that, that how can you say that only yours is right? Um, and maybe that feeds into your first, your first one, right? Cause we want, we want to make God's word say what we want it to say um, as opposed to uh, having and letting him tell us what he has said. Um, so, I, so, so maybe there's a little bit of that in, in, in mixed in with there. What about you, Pastor Rudat? Anything to, to throw out? I think uh, probably the main issue, and Dave is absolutely right, that's exactly the same situation. Um, So the only thing I would, maybe not the main issue, I'm thinking out loud here, which is not my thing to do. I like to think all by myself in a corner with a darkened room. Um, And, uh, but thinking out loud, I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering the whole concept of, the inerrancy and inspiration of the scriptures, our people know this. Like this is something that they are convinced of. And so they think that's where you need to start when you're engaging with your neighbor. Like the Bible's true. And and and, and David, you have the, the the things you mentioned is that the unbeliever is already is weaponized and saying, Yeah, but it has all these errors. Yeah, but it's been transmitted transmitted from generation to generation. Yeah, but it seems to be um, male dominated. So why should I hold on to that? And so the mistake is to say we have to, um, when we're dealing with our neighbor who has a different opinion on the, the Bible, is to say, like, that's the point that you need to talk about first rather than sin and grace. Well, yeah, and that is and that is an interesting, you know, the, you, you guys are both sort of hitting on, um, I think, a point that is a struggle when we're doing Bible information class, right? Um, because I mean, when you set up your Bible information class and, and for, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's, it's, it's not a new membership course. It's one of those we would like to, as a church, introduce you to what it is we believe, preach and teach. Um, and, and so we have the Bible information, where do you start? 
do you, do you start with that here? We use this book and this is why we use this book. And is that the way to go or, or, and, and this is where it leads into maybe what Harrison's comments were that created this knee jerk reaction and response where Harrison, and, and I don't, maybe it's worth discussing if it was rightly stated or not said, you got to start with, with sin. There's a problem. And in the Christian church, in the Lutheran church especially, we have we have a solution. Here he is. Here's Jesus. And and you know, Harrison, I I I'm being gracious to him and not reading the entirety of his article, I would say. Um, you know, he he says, you know, you, you present Christ and him crucified. You you share Jesus, and and when one is brought into faith with Jesus, they then realize that faithful Jesus who died for me also looked at these words and said, these are mine. And, and so they are true. Um, kind of working yourself backwards, right? Um, working yourself back. And, and, and I kind of view that in the same way of the apologetics area where they say, you know, when you're going to do apologetics, don't go to Genesis. <laughs> you go to, you go to the, the cross of Christ and you, you the convict of, yeah. And then you go backwards and you say, well, that same savior who saved you said, this is true. Um, and so you kind of work your way, your way backwards. Maybe that's worth a discussion. Um, kind of asking the question, you know, you know, what did Harrison say? Kind of looking into where did this start this problem? Um, so uh, did anyone want to lead us off on that? I guess I would start off by saying that, uh, you know, people are different and, and, and I'm going to come out with a very solid, it depends, you know, because there, there are people where, you know, you, you gotta just be clear up front and say, you know, what you've been told about, you know, it being translated from Greek and Hebrew into, into Latin and then German and to English. And so nobody knows what it means anymore is false. And you got to clear out that dead wood before you can move on to talking about sin and grace. And isn't that where Harrison and not to, not to, I want you to continue on your line of thought, but isn't that where Harrison kind of maybe stepped in it because he, he brings that up and he says, yeah, there are some areas within the translations where you can tell they maybe added an a, or they added a, the, or they, you know, where, where, um, maybe the writer kind of lost track of where he was going and said, well, it's very similar to another Psalm. And he kind of ended it the same way as another Psalm. Well, and I'm, I think I'm going in a different direction. Okay. Uh, then I misinterpreted. You know, yeah. You know, looking at that question of where do you start? Do you start with inherency or do you start with sin? You know, sure. it depends. You know, the, the person you're talking to, you know, outreach is one-on-one. Where are they at? You know, are, are, are they so focused on the corruption of scripture that you've got to clear out that dead wood first before you can talk about sin? Maybe you start there. Know that person. Talk to them. Have a, a relationship with them. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, this is what you have to do first. Because I don't know them. Sure. You know? Sure. No, I, and, and I agree with that, that, that knowing and starting, know your audience before is always a, a good yeah. way to go. Um, but that, I think that is, and that's maybe where, where um, I felt, and maybe I'm, I'm 
not right in this, but this is maybe where I felt that uh, um, from what, at least what was quoted in, in the article that we were given um, where Harrison kind of went off the rails a little bit um, is he, he seemed to add more dead wood it to the, the discussion then remove the dead wood where, where he kind of said, yeah, you know, there is some, uh, in the translations that we have, maybe some things that textually, you know, only your pastor knows how to weed their way through it. Um, and I, and there were some red flags that maybe came up there because I thought maybe you're, you're, you're putting now another hurdle in front of your people and saying, well, you can't trust what the scriptures are saying because you're not a pastor and therefore you can't tell was this real, was this really the part right of scripture? Um, or was this one that, that maybe had one of those issues and he listed a couple, you know, you know, the fact that some of the people translating the manuscripts um, added a, a, a phrase here or there. I think the, the, the problem I saw in that, and that would be my one critique of Matthew Harrison's article is that he was purposely vague. So that left the crack open that others are just going to blow that thing wide open and say, Oh, Harrison admits that, uh, the resurrection didn't actually happen because of the transmission error or that, you know, this was added on later, whatever, whatever, like Dave said, the fallacies of, of the unbeliever who wants to take down, um, the, the Lord along with his word. So that to me, from a pastoral point, I would say, I understand what he was trying to do. He was trying to lead people to his conclusion that the, the, the scriptures is a divine authority at the end, but it, to me, it was a, a little too vague and left open uh, an opportunity for uh, critics of the Bible to really march right through it. Right. And, and yeah, it, it's, and that was, I agree with you, the problem, I think where he kind of stepped, he was trying to alleviate some of the, the trigger words, I think um, that some people get caught up on, which are inerrancy and inspiration. They get caught up on some of those words um, because they're tossed around so much. Um, I, in preparation for this show, um, one of the things I did is I, I just did a very general YouTube search on inerrancy and, and inspiration. And one of the things that came up was, uh, RC Sproul. I don't know if you ever listened or heard of RC Sproul and Legionnaire ministry, but he had this whole thing where, where he went through and it was very interesting. It was only about a half hour, but he went through this whole idea of when you talk about inspiration, you know, one of the things that really get, get the conversation going is what type of inspiration was it? You know, did the, did, did the Lord go in there and he make robots and all they did was, was like he used them as a typewriter to, to, to come up with the scriptures or, or was this uh, more of like visions and they saw little things and they explained them in their own way. Or um, was it the, the, you know, what kind of inspiration was it? And and he eventually settled on where we would settle, where this was verbal inspiration, right? The the Lord allowed the writers to write in their in their own abilities with their own words, um, but he gave them the things to write um, that they would drawn from their memory, and he told them that the, write these things down. And we have we have indication of that. Um, Book of Revelation, you know, write this, don't write that. Um, so we get we get indications of those things throughout the scriptures. You have indications of of how the Lord has verbally the prophecy didn't come from the will of man or from their imagination, but uh, spoken by God. Um, so we have these things that are given to us. But I think, like you said, Harrison leaves the door open in in a way that maybe he could have shut that door and said, "Yes, there is easily things that we can point to and say, yep, yeah, this was a we can explain.'" 
without breaking that whole whole thing open and saying, okay, all scripture is in question. Um, and, and how do we do that? So he brings, oh, sorry, Pastor Endorf. Well, and to add a, a little, a little bit more complexity to that question, you know, you, you have a, a clear difference in how King David writes the Psalms by inspiration and how Moses writes the, the first five books of the law by inspiration. You know, Moses, as he's recording that that history of, of Genesis, you know, it, it's much more directed than David, who is recording psalms that, you know, express what he's going through and and his heart, you know. And then, um, you know, the Messianic psalms that David writes, you know, are, are clearly different than the penitential psalms like, like Psalm 51, you know. And so... You know, we trust because this is what God says in his word, that all of those are, you know, verbally inspired or fully verbally inspired. Well, and, and even, I mean, when you, when you read through the, um, the Pentateuch, you have Moses when he especially talks in Genesis where he has references, um, about certain things and, and deposits of minerals and, and, places where rivers are and things he'll say even and they are this way to this day so he's mm-hmm. using he's using current mm-hmm. maps and technologies and things that they have um that the lord allowed him to use to to give landmarkers and places where we can say and to this day they were that way um so they had not yet changed um from what what was when god had created or what was when when time had been passed that Moses was talking about. So I think there's, but, but I think, you know, Harrison also tries to, and you get into this when you, when you're dealing with the scriptures, you get into this idea, especially in the book of Kings. And when you get into Chronicles where you have the same occurrences that are given, right. But you have different numbers that may be, be shared. Um, or where they'd say those are discrepancies in numbers. And, and, and people look at that and say, see, the, the Bible has an error. They can't get their story straight. How would you, I mean, I know how I would answer, but what do you guys think? You know, when someone would say, well, look in the book of Kings and it's the same occurrence and now look in Chronicles, it's totally different. The numbers don't match up. Um, what would you say? And I'm happy to get into the the weeds with that because I, I love details. Um, but, and and especially when I'm working with a new Christian, one of the things I, I like to to do is to pull back from the details and say, you know, the reality is that none of the differences between churches, none of the differences in doctrine have anything to do with, you know, textual variants, with, with the typos in Scripture. None of them have to do with any translation questions. You know, that's how well God has preserved his word. You know, that it doesn't lead to any kind of a difference in doctrine, with the single exception of, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And everybody kind of knows they're a bunch of wackadoodles anyway. So it's so when we talk about the preservation of God's word, you know, this is the greatness of what God has done for us, that we don't have a doubt about what God has said. You know, are there some places where we wonder if he said who or he in the, the Greek? Yeah, a little bit. 
does it make a difference in what we preach and teach? No. And that's what's key. And so, you know, when you pull back and look at it with that kind of a, an analysis, you know, that's what, that's when people get to see the greatness of what God has done for us, that this is what we really have to rely on, that there isn't a doubt about what God said. There isn't a doubt in God's word uh, about what he meant us to preach and teach. There isn't a doubt about what the author intended to write. And so we rely on scripture because God has preserved his word, even if there may be a typo or two in it. Well, and I think that's, you know, when you come to the places in Kings and Chronicles, you have the difference between um a kingly chronicler who is chronicle, you know, writing it down as it happened and someone in, in, in that was in Kings. And then you have someone in Chronicles who is giving you the wrap up, right? They're rounding it and they're saying, you know, about this many, um, as opposed to the exact numbers that you would find in, in the ledgers of a King. Um, so, I mean, those are, those are areas where you can say, no, there's two different focuses, right? The, the Chronicles mm-hmm. is dealing with the preservation of God's promise to the people coming out of Babylon. Um, the, the Kings is going through, here are actually what happened to the Kings and how it happened and the numbers and the things that are going on. Um, I like how you had, had brought up the preservation and, and I think I want to get into that a little bit. Um, but the way that, that we get there is, is kind of bringing in and we've, we approached it a little bit, um, but kind of getting in how we, this seems like a debate in the LCMS, right? Kind of isn't, we were dragged into this um, um, at least from this writer, we were kind of dragged into this because Harrison's approach was to say, we are not denying the inerrancy or the inspiration of scripture, but his his approach was we start with Jesus. We let's start with let's start with sharing Jesus, Jesus first, then kind of move our way in the directions that we need to from Jesus. And um he we the Wells was dragged in because President Trepto of the seminary also spoke in a very similar fashion that that you know we need to start first with Jesus. And and share Jesus and then move from there. So what is it? What you'd sort of preach that uh, and kind of approach that comment, saying you got to know your audience. Um, but what about that technique of of starting with Jesus and saying, okay, we're going to start here and we're going to move away from that and branch out after we were clear on Jesus. What do you, what do you guys think? My uh, two minute answer was oftentimes when we talk about the scripture as canon. You know, the canon has this idea of rule or standard, like it is the rule or standard, but will you be convinced of that by it, the scripture in itself? Well, by exposing yourself to the scriptures, they will convict you of your sin and then show you your savior, Jesus, which then leads you to faith, which then leads you to say, this scripture is the rule and norm, and this is the standard. This is inerrant. This is inspired. So how you get there is by the word, which is inspired, which is inerrant, which is the rule being acted on you. And uh, so I think that is the, that's the approach to take. And I think this, the, the critic of Matthew Harrison misses that because he somehow uh, feels that you have to convince people of 
the scriptures being inerrant and inspired in the first place. But the only way to do that is, I believe, through faith. Um, without sure. faith, it is impossible to please God. The law of God, you mock the law of God. You, you, you don't um, rejoice in what God has done in his word. You're, you're, there's, there's no positive response to God's word when you are in the sinful nature. Um, it is just, it's foolishness. And I love, I, I really love how you're saying that, you know, you're not denying the inerrancy. You're not denying inspiration. You're saying we're using it because it is, it, it is God's word for us, but it can, it, it alone can convince you only through faith, mm-hmm. which it works. <laughs> and, 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 and I don't want to make that sound like it's circular reasoning, but I mean, it's, you go to a doctor and, and, and the doctor says, you go to the doctor, you say to the doctor, I'm sick. I don't feel well. And the doctor says, I have medicine for you. And, and they said, well, how do I know it works? Well, the doctor doesn't then cite, well, it has all these chemicals in it. And this is how it was made. And um, he says, well, it works because here is an example. Or it works because <laughs> right? Big Pharma paid me to tell you it works. Okay, well, that's taking it from the opposite side. And side. That, that ruins my entire analogy. Thank you very much. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, sometimes you know something works and you know it is true because you have now engaged with it. And, and it has convinced you that it is true and that it works. Um, you know, you, you, you can hear about it and you can have your doubts about it, but when you're engaged with it and it convinces you, and that's what faith does. Faith, faith really convinces us um, of the truth. It, it, it is an external thing worked on us to place us into something else and into reliance on something else. And so I think, you know, the approach of Christ here, the, the world has a problem. Here's Jesus. Now, what does Jesus say? Um, I, I, maybe this is the place to put it um, because it's just a pet peeve of mine in the new hymnal um, that, that our synod has just put out um, in the service of word and prayer. No, yeah. Word of word and prayer. Um, it quotes Romans 10. And it gets down to the point where it quotes uh, Romans 10, I want to say Romans 10, 17. And they've changed, it was the NIV 2011 who changed the, the translation. And they said the words about Christ instead of the word of Christ. Uh, faith comes from the hearing of the message and the message is the word. And in, in every other translation, in the original, it is in the original Greek, it is the word of Christ. But the NIV changed the word about Christ. And, and I think that does a disservice to the doctrines of the in, inspiration and the doctrine of the uh, inerrancy of scripture. Um, because they're not just words about where someone's just talking about, these are the words of, of Jesus given to you. Um, so I, I think there, that's something that, which brings us to the definitions, right? Uh, yep. You got to. Well, and, and I, I think that that's, that's where we always want to get when we're dealing with somebody because it is the gospel message, which is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And so even if we talk about, you know, issues involving inspiration or inerrancy or the transmission of the text to, to deal with the, the individual across from us, it's only so that we can then move on to deal with the gospel. 
to address sin and grace and apply law and gospel to that person we're we're dealing with. And I, I think when we look at, you know, why in this particular paper he takes a, a different approach, we we see the problem. We we see what comes out, you know, and, and it's a bad biblical hermeneutic that uh, leads him to say otherwise, you know, that uh, he, he takes a, an approach to scripture that is just not good in, uh, in looking at the new Testament, you know, he says the Jesus and the apostles, they all start with a miracle to establish their authority. And then they preach the gospel. Oh, and you're because talking about they the do it, re, uh, Redeemer Press article, not Harrison's article, right? Right. Correct. Okay. Yes. Except for the time that Jesus said, um, I for you know, I forgive you your sins. And to prove that I can forgive sins and I have the power to do this, I say, get up and walk. I mean, yeah. other than in that instance, when he proclaimed first and then. Well, <laughs> and, and also almost all of the times in Paul's missionary journeys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when, he said to, when he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And do you believe that, that, you know, Lazarus will, yeah. will rise again? Yeah, I believe at the end of time. Um, and then he raised him. I mean, <laughs> And then the miracle comes later. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, um, the son of man must die and rise again on the third day. And, you know, he said that a couple of times and then, and then did so it. So first of all, he is factually incorrect about how Jesus and the apostles did outreach. Oh, yeah. You know, because Paul, when he does outreach, starts with proclaiming the word arguing from scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, that he came to suffer and die for us. And then two, you know, the, the hermeneutic, the biblical interpretation of saying, you know, the Bible describes something, therefore you have to do it that way, is a bad approach because the Bible describes a lot of things we shouldn't do, you know, sure. like Abraham had, or not, Abraham, yeah, well, Abraham, Abraham had more have than another, one wife. Yep, yep. I should not have more than one wife. And, and that's just the, the thing to keep in mind is that there are commands in scripture that we follow and obey. And there are descriptions in scripture Sometimes we follow them because they're good examples. Sometimes they're bad examples. And sometimes they're just examples that are good, but they don't fit us. I'm not Jesus. I'm not an apostle. You know, I, I'm not a prophet. And so I don't act like I'm a prophet or an apostle. And, and that's where one of the places where he fails in his biblical interpretation. And so... Um, who's he again I, which one who is uh the, the writer yeah which one are Jack you? okay that's the yeah. one you're talking about okay yeah yeah yep michael castioni because i can't Actually, i can't find an online article online link with this article 
will because it was in an email that was sent to you. Yeah, so it's it's through it's from Redeemer Press, and he sends out those things through through the Redeemer Press. I don't know if the article is. Um, it has a it has it through the LinkedIn Jack Caschione, um, through LinkedIn stuff. They send they send it out if you're part of, if you ever follow their things and just want to get information. They kind of send that stuff out to you weekly. And this is one of the things that he sent out. And I just like to keep a pulse on stuff that's going on and and people's snarkiness in the world. Um, but I I think one of the things that that I think it brings us to is is maybe we need to have in the I don't know, however long it takes and maybe the last 15 minutes or, or 20 minutes of the show is, is maybe taking a look and saying, okay, when we say, when we say that the scriptures are inerrant, which, which ones are we talking about? When we say that they have been verbally inspired, which ones are we talking about? Um, and when I say which ones I'm, I'm saying, you know, do we, when we, when we grab our Bible in the English translation, um, EHV, ESV, NIV, CSB, HCSB, uh, MEV. Um, <laughs> I mean, the list can go on and on and on and on. Uh, modern English version is the is the Mev Bible. Um, we look at all those things. The the King James. I mean, some people are like, you know, when you're talking about what is inerrant and verbally inspired, it's the King James Bible. Um, um, what what are we talking about? So when we're so first of all, for our listeners, inerrant means without error. Um, inspired means that is that it's coming from God, uh, specifically verbal inspiration that, that the Holy Spirit um, spoke these words to the to the writers and that they used their abilities to then write it to down. Um, what are we talking about? Um, are we talking about these translations? Let's let's maybe clear the air on that, and then get to the point that you you made, Pastor Endorf, which was beautiful. Um, what is God doing now? So, what do you think? I I think that when we talk about you know inspiration and verbal inspiration, ultimately what we're talking about is the original autograph the original manuscript that the the apostles and the prophets wrote you know and so what king david wrote what moses wrote those were inspired and without error and that's what god you know through the holy spirit inspired them to write and that's what god has preserved to us in a way that um we have the the meaning of it that while we recognize there are are typos and some mistakes in the transmission of the text that none of those mistakes change the meaning and so that's the the difference in the the formal and the the material principle that he brings up and I can never remember which one is which. And so Pastor Rudat's going to explain that to us. <laughs> well, actually, that formal and material principle is is something is like a term. There's like a term. Uh, it all depends on how you define the term. But formal would be the actual letters. Material would be the content. Right. And and I and one of the things. So just so our, our listeners are sure, because I know you get the blowback. Where people are like, well, then can I can I have any hope and comfort in the Word of God that I have? Um, yes, you can. And the reason for that is is simply 
out of any material ever. So out of, out of any book ever written throughout all entire history, we have more copies of the scriptures that we can track and follow down. And, and we can say, here's, here's how the Lord has preserved it. And we can track it back. We can track it back to, to the writers um, within centuries or, or with a, within a century of, of the writers themselves. We can track back the writings and we can say, this is, we can follow the course of, of how it was written down from the Hebrew, from the, from the Greek. You don't, you can't do that. Um, you know, any other book that's out there, um, I think they, they had said original manuscripts of, of um, Shakespeare were only in, in the thousands. Um, original manuscripts of, of Caesar, uh, less than a hundred. Um, the original manuscripts of what was in the, of the Quran is like none. They have none because it was all orally transmitted, nothing ever written down. And so, you know, can you say, um, when you read Shakespeare, these are his original words. These are his words. Well, of course, anybody would say that because they said, well, we have, we have these manuscripts. We have enough evidence that says this is what he said. Those are his words. Can we say, uh, credit anything to Caesar? Well, yeah, even though we only have maybe a, a hundred manuscripts of what he said, we can accredit this is what he said from those hundred manuscripts. Um, would anybody, I mean, this is would get you in trouble. Would you question the Quran? <laughs> I mean, you don't really have a manuscript evidence for it. Would you question it? We don't question the scriptures and what we have in our translations. We can track it. We, we can go back and we can say, God has preserved what he has verbally inspired and what he has given as inerrant. He, we can track that down, right? Um, and so these are for us. And then we translate it. And recognize every translation is not a word-for-word -word translation um, because you wouldn't understand some of the colloquialisms from Hebrew or from Greek. And so we, when we translate it into English, we have to alter that a little bit. Um, so that we get the idea, which brings us back to, as you said, uh, Pastor Rudat, the material, right? The the material of it is there. Yeah, even Jesus uh, did not quote the exact words from the. Is it Jesus that doesn't quote the exact words? Yeah, Jesus doesn't oh, quote. Jesus, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't uh, quote exactly from the scriptures, and the uh, his opponents, the Pharisees, didn't call him on it because he embrace the content of what he's of what the old testament right. scriptures say right oh sharing a screen is that is that coming through it is it's very small though Can you make is, it so that is the comparison of the the different numbers of manuscripts that we have and so you have all of these other little yellow dots as the number of of other manuscripts that are out there. And then this big yellow circle here is the number of scriptural manuscripts out there. And so just to give you an idea about what the proportion is, that you would have to throw out all of human history before like a thousand AD if you were to say, we don't know what the Bible says or we don't know what Jesus said. Right. Which brings us, which brings it back that, that, you know, I mean, if you're going to try to make a claim that the, the scriptures are, are, are at least in, inerrant, that we have the scriptures the way that they were intended to be, you can make that, that claim by just looking at those, those manuscripts and saying, here's the evidence, here's our proof. 
but it, it comes back down to why do you trust in something? You, you don't trust in something just because you can say, well, you have a lot of evidence for it. Um, you know, faith and trust is something that has worked outside of us and has worked in us um, that we now rely on it because it has proven itself to be true. Um, and that comes by Christ. And I think that's where, where we have to now be very careful in how we present our ourselves and how we present the scriptures, because, you know, you can say, yes, the, the Hebrew and the Greek is the verbally inspired inerrant word of God. But now you've maybe hurt somebody who, who can't read the Greek and can't read the Hebrew. Um, and they're like, well, is my Bible, is my Bible what, what it has given me hope and comfort? Is it true? And, and I think all of us here would say, yes, absolutely. Um, God has preserved his word for you, for, for your heart and mind, and, and for you to know Christ. And here he is. Uh, and these are the words of Christ for you. Um, and I think you, you, we need to paint that in that light and be very careful in how we present it because you could hurt a lot of people if you don't. Yeah. And that's why I always like to make that comment of, you know, None of the differences we have between churches about doctrine come from a difference in the text or a difference in translation. You know, it, it's because of a difference in approach. And as, as long as you approach Scripture humbly, looking for the cross and the Savior who died for your sins, you know, a lot of the reason we have pastors who can read Hebrew and Greek is to, to point to the people outside of the church who are saying, you know, all of these false things about how the Bible was transmitted and, and it being, a, you know, a game of telephone and, and things like that and say, right. no, that's not true. It is a faithful translation. These are all faithful translations. They all went back to the Greek and the Hebrew. And even if they seem a little different, here's why they seem a little different. But they all mean the same thing. Right. And I think, and then that comes back to to how you began, right, with your comments in the very beginning, that that when it comes down to it, our sinful nature would like nothing else than to discredit the scriptures that are God's word for us. Um, and then in discrediting that word, it discredits faith in Christ because if you can poke a hole in the word of God and you can say that, that this portion of God's word is not true, then what portion of God's word is? And maybe, maybe Christ isn't true and what Christ did wasn't true. Um, and so we get it in our head that we're going to fight this argument, right? We're going to, we're going to go to battle. I think this is where, where this whole article was. He wants to go to battle. He wants to pick a fight and, and defend something. Um, but it, it's not about that. It's not, not about winning an argument. It's about the world has a problem, a very big problem. The problem is sin. Um, and it's destroying everything and it's destroying us. Um, and you can live in that world without any hope. You can live in that world completely lost and you can live in that world without any grace and you can continue to, to stumble through it wondering why you and who cares about you and who looks out for you. And you can do that and it's a very lonely place. Or you can hear out what the Lutheran church and, and I think other churches as well. I'm not going to just say us. 
Um, I'm not arrogant enough for that. I'm arrogant, but not that arrogant. Um, we have a solution and, and we, we want to share it to you. And here's Christ and here's Jesus and here's what he has done. And, and you leave the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does far better than us, which is fight the sinful heart <laughs> and do battle with it and change it. And when it's changed in Christ, you can then say, and here are his words to you, right? Here is his words to you. And, and here's his gift to you and his blessings for you and the words that are perfect for you. Um, that's kind of my approach on it. And, and I don't know where you guys stand or don't stand, or you can say I'm completely off the rails and that's fine. I would say that this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, you know, in, in rebuking the, 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 people of his time, you know, John came neither eating or drinking. I come both drinking and eating and you hated us both, you know? And, and the reality is it didn't matter. It doesn't necessarily matter how God would have preserved his scriptures. People were going to find a way to complain about God because the sinful nature is God's enemy. It, it does not submit to God, nor can it do so. And so, you know, what we always want to get to is, you know, what leads to repentance, what leads to a change of mind. And, and that's, you know, the point that we've always been, that all three of us have been trying to make is, you know, law and gospel. This is the Savior who loved you so much, he sent his son to die for your sins. And we, are we going to address scripture and, and inspiration? Yeah, because the God who loved us so much, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, gave us this amazing gift, and it is worth talking about. And we love his word, and and we're going to do it. But what works faith in people's hearts is the gospel message. And it's the gospel message that we share to convert people because that's where the Holy Spirit works. Absolutely. And, and I think it goes a long way to say that that maybe we don't talk about inerrancy, in, inerrancy and inspiration much because as Christians live as Christians, it's just, it flows out of us that it is right. Um, the confessions kind of approach that. Um, yeah, it's, we're basing everything off of God's word because God's word is, <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it, it's the, the unspoken rule or the, or the, um, um, the background assumption that when a Christian is speaking, they're speaking from Christ's authority from his word and it's just automatically built into it. Right. Um, yeah. But it, it's self authenticating, right. you know? And so whenever those, uh, you know, the, those fads about the Apocrypha or the deuterocanonical books come up, you know, it's like, okay, you want to read it? Let's read it. You're going to see pretty quick why we don't say it's inspired because, you know, the believer reads it and they see this is not about the love of God for his people. This is not about salvation. This does not match the Old Testament. This does not fit with God's word. And so 
we don't include it with scripture. And, and that's how the church has always worked with the canon. And so when we when we don't necessarily preach about scripture, it's be, or the inerrancy of scripture, it's because preaching scripture is self-authenticating. And it and that faith worked in people's hearts, you know, leads them to maturity and the recognition of you know, what does their Savior's voice sound like? And they, they know it. And when chips are down, you take comfort from it, right? Um, I mean, that's that's the other side of it. You know, any Christian who who believes in their Lord and Savior, when they are when they're down in the dumps, they read the scriptures and they don't say, I wonder if he really meant that. You know, it's no, he spoke those things to me because they're true. Um, Pastor Rudat, we have not heard from you and your, your words of wisdom are, are baffling and inspiring and they are mysterious, uh, in their profundity. And so, um, would you like to lead us out of this conversation? Sure. I, I was about to change my background to a Star Trek background because I couldn't take all the compliments because I knew that would just that would just switch gears in your, your speech right away. You're like, oh, forget I said all that. Uh, it would. It would. <laughs> so we began our conversation today talking about an article that President Harrison of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod had written called Divine Authority. We have that link in the the notes. And we, we commented his pastoral approach in those first three paragraphs probably could have been a little bit clearer, maybe not quite so vague. Uh, and then we, I, I'm really glad we did not spend a whole lot of time in Jack Carzioni's rebuttal of that because it was a lot of garbage, um, a lot of uh, false characterizations of Matthew Harrison, a lot of mind-reading lies about what he said. So I, I'm really glad that we stuck with, let's talk about the topic, let's talk about this issue in this real life and living faith that we're living with, because it is a, an issue that, that that we're facing. We're living in a world where people reject the that the Bible is inspired, that the Bible is inerrant. So how do we approach it? And we've we talked about this in various ways and, and, and uh, looked at different strategies that people can use. In the end, though, uh, the Bible like Dave was saying, is self-authenticating. And it is a wonderful book, like Will was saying, that reminds us of what Christ and what he has done for us.